Acts 12, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Kevin Butcher. Let's read the text together, shall we? It's uh, Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 19b. They were very specific as they gave me this text. And by the way, thank you to the preaching team for giving me the text that talks about Herod, Herod uh, Agrippa I, getting eaten by worms. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> So I don't know, do you stand here when you read the text? I don't know, but let's stand, why not? And you might find it on your screen. I'm reading from the New King James. Hope that that's uh, not a problem for whatever text you have in front of you. But in the middle of verse 19, <clears throat> it says this. And Herod, that would be Herod Agrippa I, went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, and probably to bribe him, um, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal, royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. He gave, gave them a kingly speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. You may be seated. So what in the world do we make of this story. You'll see, first of all, a few introductory comments um, on your screen. And, and even before we get into these uh, kind of pieces of backdrop, let me just say that I, we don't always get this privilege, but this morning, this story is corroborated historically by the Jewish historian uh, Josephus. There's so much questioning today about, you know, is the text really accurate and is the text really historical? But for this particular text this morning, uh, you need to know that Josephus gives us a parallel account. I'll be reading from it in just a moment. And uh, so this is absolute, whatever you think about the, the New Testament, you can be sure that this story is absolute um, history. So let's talk for a minute just about this main character, because you may know it or not, but there are seven Herods mentioned in the New Testament. So which Herod is this? This is Herod Agrippa I, who ruled parts of Israel between uh, 37 to 44 AD. You'll see a picture of him, I think. We have a, a shot of him on a coin. Somewhere here, yeah, what a likeness, eh? Um, <clears throat> he ruled, of course, under the Romans, uh, and at his peak, his territory was almost equal to Herod the Great. Herod the Great, of course, would be the Herod of the story of baby Jesus, the Herod of the slaughter of the innocents, the Herod of the second temple. And so you can see that this, uh, this is what he ruled. And so he, he really did rule mo most of Israel during his time. Another thing we need to know about Herod is he is, as I mentioned, uh, related to Herod the Great. He was the grandson of Herod the Great and the Hasmonean princess Mariamne. Um, who were the Hasmoneans? 
in, in the century before Christ, the Hasmonean dynasty emerged from that period of time when the Seleucids had come and uh, overrun Israel. Uh, right before the Romans came, they had overrun Israel. And what emerged from that period of time was a group of warriors called the Maccabees. How many of you have heard of the intertestamental books? There's four of them called the books of the Maccabees. And they talk about the war, the, these warriors that rose up to defend uh, traditional Orthodox Judaism, biblical Judaism as they understood it. And in fact, remember that famous story when the Seleucid ruler Antiochus Epiphanes tried to slaughter a pig on the altar in the temple, and it was the Maccabees that came and said, not on our watch. And so it was out of uh, that particular period of time that the Hasmonean dynasty emerged, a group of Jewish rulers that ruled for about 100 years. And this was very, very important to Herod Agrippa because from his Herod line, he was not Jewish. From his, Has from his uh, Hasmonean line, he was Jewish. And of course, the Jews were always looking for someone to rule them uh, who was from their own lineage. In terms of his character, a couple of thoughts. He was uh, known to be a murderer and persecutor of the church. Of course, you heard Pastor Peter, I think it was last week, talk about uh, him just uh, killing James with a sword for no real reason, uh, cutting off his head. I think uh, historically we, we learn, and he falsely imprisoned Peter just because he liked how the Jews reacted to killing James. He was hypocritical, he was manipulative, he was impulsive. He would do anything for Jewish approval, which sometimes would turn out uh, for the good of the Jewish people. For example, there's a story that comes out of the Talmud uh, that talks about Emperor Caligula, Gaius Caligula, who was an old friend of Herod's. And Caligula wanted to put a statue of himself up in the temple. And Herod said, you know what? That is not a good idea. So in behalf of my people, I'm going to tell you, don't do it. And he didn't. So occasionally, his desire to please the Jews worked out for the good of the Jewish people. But also, here's a guy who wanted to plead the, please the Jews so, 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 so much that just because he thought they would be happy, because they were unhappy with the church, he kills James for no reason, except that the Jews would like the church to go away. And then he saw how they reacted to him killing James, and he put Peter in prison. He was a very hypocritical, manipulative, and impulsive human being. And then, of course, when it turned out that Peter was set free, he executed the guards just because he could. And then I, I guess you would have to say, especially with today's story, um, history knows him as a megalomaniac and a self-worshipper. And you can see why. Uh, he was raised at the court of Emperor Tiberius, who was himself a megalomaniac. And his, his two cronies were Claudius, who became a Caesar, and Caligula, who became a Caesar. So raised in that environment, I got to tell you, I, I can understand why his ego was large enough so that when we get to our story today and the people cry out, the voice of a God, he kind of thought, well, it's about time people realized who I really am. So this is Herod Agrippa I, and it's no small thing. I want you to catch this historically in terms of the time span that we're in. He's the king of the Jewish people. At the time that God sent the Jewish Messiah to save the world. And he's got a chance to do something here. We're going to see in this story what he chooses um, to do. So here's the story itself. And of course, you'll see some elements on, on the screen. The backdrop, of course, is again, James being martyred and Peter uh, being released and the execution of the guards. 
Verse 19 says that Herod goes home to Caesarea. And Caesarea was the Roman capital of this particular country. Jerusalem would have been the Jewish capital, but Caesarea was the Roman capital. And you'll see a map, I think, that we have of Caesarea. You can see it off to the side there on the Mediterranean Sea. It was built, Caesarea was built by Herod the Great to honor Caesar Augustus. Roman rulers stayed there. Um, it's where Cornelius came to faith. Peter was sent to Caesarea to share the gospel with Cornelius. And so the backdrop, according to verse 20, of what happens in Caesarea as he went home to his, you know, palatial uh, home there in Caesarea was Herod had had a falling out with Tyre and Sidon. Now, a little historical backdrop, Tyre and Sidon, they were just north of Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea, and they were a coastal shipping town. They depended, for, they depended on their grain from Israel. And so somehow they got crossways, you can imagine, with all the egos floating around in politics then, just like today. They got crossways with Herod, and Herod cut them off. And so they got a hold of this personal aide of Herod Agrippa, uh, whose name is Blastus, and uh, bribed him to somehow, can you make peace? Otherwise, our people are going to starve. And so verse 21 says that um, it was about the time that Herod decided to celebrate Caesar Claudius, Claudius Caesar, who was in power at that time, celebrate his birthday. And he had this, um, he had this big celebration in the Caesarean Amphitheater. You'll see a couple of views here of this amphitheater. This is one from, there's the Mediterranean Sea. This is, this is quite a structure uh, that was built in the first century. And then you'll see a smaller uh, view. I have actually um, stood right there where those rocks are, those stones are. Uh, with the tour that I was on up in the um, up in the amphitheater and it's amazing the acoustics you can speak there and people can hear you um, in that uh, amazing structure this was where um, he decided to have this party for Claudius Caesar and he uh, he he invited the dignitaries from Tyre and Sidon and so this is what Josephus says happened Let, let's get a little background from this other historian this is how he describes it he says, on the second day of the spectacles, the party, Herod uh, Agrippa put on a garment made wholly of silver, of a truly wonderful texture, and came into the theater early in the morning. And there the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays, shone out in a wonderful manner and was so resplendent as to spread awe over those that looked intently upon him. Presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, that he was a God. And they added, be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced to thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to moral, mortal nature. Upon this, the king neither rebuked them nor rejected their impious flattery. And so verse 23 says, um, God struck him down. In fact, it says the angel of the Lord uh, struck him down. I, I, I don't know why I think like this, but I wondered, could this have been the same angel that God sent to free Peter just a few verses earlier? Um, 
the text says, Luke says, he, he struck him down because he did not give praise to God. Um, Josephus says that he didn't die immediately. And the Lucan text doesn't imply that he had to die immediately, but he got violently sick, Josephus says. And, and in fact, went home for about five days, according to Josephus, and was violently ill the entire time. Some accounts have him regretting that he did not shut down his flatterers. Nevertheless, five days um, into um, his stay at his palace uh, at the age of 54, um, King Herod Agrippa I, the king of the Jews at the very most important time in history when God allowed him to rule the Jewish nation, the chosen people, at the time when she was called to receive her Messiah for the salvation of the world. King Herod, who didn't want to worship God, but wanted to be God, was dead. Amazingly, and if you're, if you're a writer, you know what's happening here. This is like contrast. And this isn't the only place in Acts where there's this kind of contrast. You can see it in chapter 4, verse 4, and chapter 5, verse 14, chapter 6, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 31. No matter what the enemy is bringing to bear upon the church, that human expression of the kingdom of God, the church still grows. The church still grows. The church, the believers were added. The, the, the believers were multiplied. No matter what the enemy brings, God says, but you have to understand, man, who you're dealing with here. Nowhere in Acts is it more stark than here. In 12.1, remember as Pastor Peter preached last week, just at the beginning of this chapter, King Herod stretched out his hand, took the life of James the Apostle, imprisoned Peter just because he could, executed the guards, even though it was very clear something supernatural had happened. And yet here at the end of this one chapter, after Herod, as, an, as a tool of the enemy, could have been a tool of God himself. But because he wouldn't bow the knee as a tool of the enemy, King Herod is gone and the church is exploding. So what in the world does this story mean. I was quite grateful this morning as Pastor Kevin was praying with a bunch of the staff for me before I got up here. Uh, for Pastor Kevin said, I've been studying this text all week. He, he actually prayed and said, thank you, Lord, that Kevin gets to preach this text. And what he really meant was, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to preach this text, <laughs> which he admitted. But I was very grateful to hear Pastor Kevin saying, I've been reading this all week and I'm trying to figure out what it means. And for what it's worth, I was up till about three o'clock in the morning this morning after studying 10, 20 hours in the last month, trying to figure out more concisely because th this, is, this matters today, see? Because there's a broken world. We gather to scatter. We come here to be filled, to be healed, 
so that we can take our healing into the brokenness. So it matters. That's why I wasn't up to three because I was trying to be some kind of a hero with the Bible. I was just trying to, Lord, what do you want me to say? Why? I don't know Luke, never met Luke. Luke wrote this for a reason. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write this for us today, March the 24th, 2019, for Inglewood, New Jersey. Why? Now, before I give you the two main things that will be coming up, don't put them up yet. Thanks. Before I give you the two main things, let me just talk for a moment about the elephant in the room. And I think, at least this is true when I read this text, the elephant in the room is the fact that Herod, well, his death sort of freaks us out. I mean, really? God sent worms to eat him from the inside out? Is he, um, is God impulsive? Is God oversensitive? Is God cruel? And, and I, I, if you're like me, when I read this text, I'm like, what is it saying to me? I, I, I guess I would, I would say, should I worry? I mean, last week somebody gave me a compliment and I didn't immediately say, praise the Lord. And I know I've had periods in my journey where I've been somewhat self-absorbed, not really worshiping. Should, should I? Look, can I just say this just to put us at ease? If God sent worms to, all, to any of us who ever had an arrogant thought, who would survive? Take a load off your mind today. I don't, I don't think that's what... This is trying to say it all. I would, however, say this. I just, I was going to just throw this piece out, but I thought, let's just address it. I would say that maybe Herod, in a way, illustrates something that even Ananias and Sapphira illustrate, and many other, many other of the people of God in Scripture, and that is that God's love will do whatever is necessary in our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus. One commentator, um, Leon Morris on the Gospel of John said, God's love, sometimes we think God's love is just this. God's love, he says, is a consuming fire. He loves us so much, he won't just look aside at us when we are literally walking down a path that over and over and over again says, not you, God, me. He loves us too much to let us go down that path. So in 1987, I went to a a church that was dying in Detroit on the east side. It's called Ebenezer Baptist Church. And I'd come from a little country church, first four years out of seminary. I saw there was 180 elderly uh, saints in in this body of believers. I remember saying, this church is too big for me, man. I don't know what to do with this place. I don't know what to do with the building. I don't, I don't know how to pastor this church, man. I'm just an ex-football player who studied a little Bible. By the time I got done, 14 years later, there were 2,000 people. People would call me to come and speak and say, tell us how you did it. And I said, I don't know. I, in fact, I would say... I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I think, it, I think it's to the point. I would say, I didn't do it. God did it. But man, I'll tell you, pride, self-absorption is insidious. 
And I remember it, we, we, we started to approach our community in, I think, godly ways. I mean, we were all white and our community was, had people of color, many people of color. And we were saying, look, if we're going to be the kingdom of God, either we're going to create space systemically as well as personally for this to be a place for all folks or we are spitting on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this, this was kingdom. We were moving into kingdom. And so it was in the midst of all of that that uh, I, I was going to get fired. And in the midst of almost getting fired, I remember one day something popped out of my mouth. And I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you, but I think it illustrates this point. What popped out of me is, hey, Carla, I said to my wife, they can't fire me. I built this place. And I really think that was the moment God looked at me and shook his head and said, I'm so sorry, son. I'm going to have to set you down. I love you too much to let you keep going down this, even though it was insidious, even though it was slow, you've become so self-absorbed. You have, you, have, you have become about you to the exclusion of me. I'm going to have to set you down so you can come back home to me. So... I don't think you have to worry about worms, but I do think here it illustrates something. God will do what he has to do to pull us back home. So that really even wasn't even the point. I just thought we had to talk about that because getting eaten by worms is something we're thinking about. So here's what I think. Here's what I think really is going on in this text. Two things, just two. Number one. The story, this story of the early church, please stay with me, is our story. This is our story. I, I think so often it is so easy to disconnect our 21st century, urban, suburban, whatever, Western lives from these human beings. Those were church folk, and you know, uh, early church folk, and so we, we, we go to art museums and we see them and they're painted, right? They have flat faces. Their two eyes are looking like this and their faces are flat and they have halos, right? Like those, those people, those aren't like real people like us. These people are us. You say, yeah, but I, I could never be like Peter and I could never be like, I mean, I, James and Peter, I mean, I, You've probably heard this before, but let me read it again to you. We think we're so different. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied about his wife. Jacob was a swindler. Moses stuttered. He also had an anger problem. Hosea married a prostitute. David had an affair. Solomon had a bunch of wives. The woman at the well had a bunch of husbands. Naomi was a widow. Sarah was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. Miriam was a gossip. Jeremiah got depressed. Elijah got burnt out. Martha was too busy. Timothy had stomach problems. John Mark was rejected by the Apostle Paul. Moses was a murderer. So was David. So was Paul. We are these people. This story is us. Jesus didn't say, in the first century, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He said, until I return, you who follow me will have tribulation. Until I return, if you're gathered as the body of Jesus, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. 
And so um, the point today is not just how we doing, you know? Feeling all right? Got lunch plans? Got a good week planned? Look, the Father loves us. Of, of, of course, he wants us to be doing well. But I was thinking about my own daughters this morning. What if we were living like in Europe in World War II? I would love my daughters. I'd want them to play. I'd want them to have nourishment. I'd want them to laugh and have joy. But I would have to pull them close and say, baby, there's nothing I want more for you than for all to be well, all to be well with you. But we're in a war. So you're going to have to be strong. So it's not that God doesn't care today how we're doing, but there is a bigger issue. And that is, how is the battle going that has been going since the first century? How is it going today with us? We may be Peter. We may be James on the front line. We may be Rhoda behind the scenes praying in a house with a bunch of other folk praying. But how is the, the biggest question today is, how are we engaged in the battle alongside this man named Jesus who, who is fighting for the lives of human beings? I mean, the prize is not some political agenda. The prize is human beings, sons and daughters of God that are looking for him even if they don't know it. If we realize, if we can take out of this text today, this is us. It will change the way we look at our lives. When we get up in the morning, it won't just be, I think I have a pain. I don't know. I, or we're so addicted to being good. I mean, for things to be good. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. We're not masochists of course we want things to be good but it will change the way we will get up in the morning and we'll wonder how the battle has gone while we've been asleep and we'll wonder that day whether it's at work or with our children or in our marriage or in our neighborhood what role god is asking us to play along the side alongside his son his warrior king jesus for the hearts and lives of human beings this text is us it will change everything about the way we look at our lives I was flying out to somewhere the other day, and this acts like I'm make, telling a good story on myself. I'm, I'm, I'm broken, but I do know that I'm loved. And I was at this steakhouse at the airport, and by the grace of God, because I know he sees me, I saw this waitress, and I thought there's something going on. Ate my meal. Before I left, I called her out and I said, look, I'd already given her a big tip. I said, you got to do this when you're my age. I said to this young lady, first of all, I don't want you to think like I'm a creepy old man. Okay. <laughs> Please don't call the security. I'm, we're out here in the open. But I said, I've got daughters your age and I'm just telling you. And I, I don't always do this, but I just felt compelled to tell you what I think God wants you to know. You might be going through something. He wants you to know he sees you. And she immediately went like, and he's got you. And she went, <laughs> I slipped her a 20. And she ran off to the restroom. 
and I, I, I didn't see her again. She's waiting tables and cashing out checks and talking to her employees, but, but inside, she's fighting the powers of darkness. If we will own that this is us, it will change the way we see our world. It will change the way we see the person at the 7-Eleven, let alone our next door neighbor, let alone our kids, let alone our spouse if we're married. And one more thing, I just got to say this and then I'll give you the second point and that's it. We were never promised to come through this battle that we're engaged in with the powers of darkness for human beings unscathed in middle-class culture safety is one of our code words well you want us to be safe don't you Lord (laughs) I don't know I when I pastored in, 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 in this broken community of of Detroit for 16 years and by the way Suburban communities are broken too. It's just more hidden. And I would, I mean, I was getting older and paunchier and I would just walk the community and my wife would go, what are you doing? Somebody's going to take you out. And honestly, I wasn't trying to be a hero. My, my nonprofit director would say, what are you doing? You trying to be a hero? I'm not trying to be a hero. These folk are, are my folk. I'm a son who's been loved and rescued. I I just want them to know that there's a God who wants to love them and pull them home as well. I wasn't trying to be stupid. I'm not saying the New Testament says be as stupid as you can as you fight for the kingdom of God. (laughs) But on the other hand, we don't get to say, oh, I shouldn't do that because the ultimate value here is safety. Wars are not safe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back because he knew there was something deeper and broader than safety. He was safe here. He went back to fight against the powers of darkness that had killed six million Jews. And we're bringing fascism to the world as if it was like the new kingdom. Why was Peter spared? Why was James not? I don't know. But this is what I can tell you from what Peter taught last week and what we're seeing this week. This is what we can know. In the battle, in the battle, we're not promised safety in that physical human sense, but we are promised that he loves us and he is with us and he will never leave us. I'm sure you talked about this, Peter, but, but Peter in prison, the night before he's supposed to get executed, here he is. Because he knew the truth of Hebrews 13. Has the Lord not said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What can man do unto me? And James, you know what Josephus says about James? That the guard that was handcuffed to James was so touched by the way James responded to the whole thing that he came to faith in Messiah after James was executed. Because he knew he was with them. What would it be like for us to begin to pray this prayer today? Lord, give me courage to enter the battle by your side for the lives of the sons and daughters of God whom you love and don't know you yet. 
no matter what the cost, believing that you love me and are with me. And whether you call me home or release me from prison, I'm with you. So that's the first thing. This is us. Second and lastly, in the end, I think, I think Luke told this story because in the end we need to know Rome never, Herod never, the enemy never wins. You can clap for that. Thank you. So context, this story to me goes all the way back and starts in Genesis 3 when God had said, if you eat of the tree of the garden of, 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 if if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then are we shocked when in Genesis 3.15 he says, well, instead, you're going to leave the garden, but instead my love is going to be coming for you. Through the seed of the woman, who's going to battle with the seed of Satan and eventually the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. My love is going to be coming for you. And then the next chapter, you've got Cain and Lamech, seed of, seed of the serpent. And yes, but you have Seth, the seed of the woman. And then you've got the Tower of Babel, uh, but then you have Abraham and then you have, well, Sarah's barren. Oh, but then you have Isaac. And then you have Egypt. But then you have Moses. And his love is still coming. No matter what the enemy brings, his love is still coming. And then you have Saul, but then you have David. And you've got Babylon, but you've got Persia that sends Israel back to rebuild the wall and the temple. And then you have the 400 dark years where God doesn't seem to speak. But then you've got an angel and you've got a young woman who says, be it unto me according to your word that was probably 13 or 14 years old. And you've got a faithful man named Joseph and you've got a little baby that was called King. Love, his love was still coming. And then that baby grew and taught about the kingdom of God and healed folks as a sign that he was the true Messiah. But then there was the shout, crucify him. And then there was the spikes, and then there was the it is finished, and then there was silence. But love was still coming for us. And so there was, on the third day, a rolled away stone, and yet another angel saying, he is not here, he is risen. But in Acts 12, hell's still coming because hell is relentless. A roaring lion prowling around, present tense, constantly, doesn't nap. Seeking, present tense, constantly, what? Whom he may devour. Hell is still coming in Acts 12. A king of Israel who says, he didn't even know it. I'm representing the powers of darkness, so I'm going to take out James. I'm going to take out Peter. And by the way, I'm like God, but the love of God is coming stronger, you see. James, you're going to come home to be with me, son. Peter, you're going to be released. Herod, you're done. Because these are my sons and daughters. The church is my kingdom. 
you may win a few battles, Luke says, but know this, church in the 21st century, the enemy never wins the war. He never wins the war. So just to land this plane, we're here today in the spirit of Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and the Jerusalem church. So Metro, um, what's the war like for you today? Staff, elders, leaders, What are you fighting in culture that it is about the powers of darkness? Fighting to, to get a place to, to stay. You're fighting against racism. You're fighting against misogyny. You're, you're fighting to see that the poor are fed. You're fighting against greed. You're fighting against a culture that says democracy is the new kingdom of God. That message, by the way, and notice I didn't say anything about being a Republican or a Democrat. I didn't tell you which president I voted or didn't vote it for. I am not, I'm 65, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> but I can tell you on both sides of the aisle, we've created this thing today where it's Jesus and democracy. And that was part of the insidious, hellish theology of that day. It was Judaism. Who cares that the Jewish Messiah had come? Thus, Pharisees got it going on. A Sadducee's got it going on. We're going to bring whatever we have defined God's kingdom as being through national Israel. Can I come back and preach that next week? Because I think that needs to be talked about a little bit. What are you fighting, Metro? against the powers of darkness. This is what I think Luke is saying today. Keep your eyes on Jesus, he's the king. It's gonna be a battle for the lives of children. It's gonna be a battle for the lives of families. Rome will win a few battles, but she will not win the war. And brothers and sisters, for you and I at an individual level, do you do you sense like I do that the enemy is threatening? I, I don't think there's a day that I don't feel the enemy threatening on some level. I, you know, you could say maybe I'm just a paranoid guy or maybe I'm, I don't know. I, I, there's never a day when I don't sense either physically or psychologically, emotionally, relationally. Where are your tears today? Right, right behind your eyes talking to Pastor Sonetta earlier this morning and we were talking about how sometimes we can be going, hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you. And then just one little poke emotionally and those tears are coming because of the, the darkness. The darkness. Where, where are the tears for you? Where is the enemy lying to you saying, I've got you, you know. You might as well give it up because I win. I want to tell you today, my brother and sister, whatever is going on in your life, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the risen son of God, the Lord of the early church and the Lord of Metro church and the Lord of your life says to you, I've got you, Herod doesn't. And there may be some pain, it's a fight, but I will be right there by your side.
And I can promise you in the long run, Rome doesn't win. Rome doesn't get you. I do. Because you're mine. What would it be like if if we began to step out of our fear and began to embrace the truth of Acts chapter 12. This is our story. But Rome never wins. Can I drop down here for a second? That'd be all right. Um, everybody turn your head for a second while I do this. Oh, gosh, there you go. <laughs> it's a bad knee. Um, I was thinking how to wrap this. Maybe that was the wrap, I don't know, but have, have you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? It's worth watching. It's a true story about a guy named Desmond Doss from Lynchburg, Virginia. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, but a follower of Jesus. He was a conscientious objector. He would not touch a weapon. As you look back on his story, part of it had to do with the fact that at one point, apparently, he threatened his dad, who was beating his mother, with a gun. And that was the day he said, I'm never touching. He almost killed his dad, and he said, I'm never touching a gun again. Of course, he got made fun of mercilessly, but... This one particular day in the battle for Okinawa, they were on this, in this battleground called Hacksaw Ridge, which is just this sheer cliff where they had ropes um, and netting so you could climb up and also so you could come down. And the enemy was just crushing them. And at one point in the battle, they were just being driven back and going over the side, going off to where they had bivouacked somewhere down the road. And, and Desmond Doss had just brought back one of his closest buddies, and he had tried to save him, but he, he was dead. And on his knees, apparently this really, this is an accurate part of the film, according to Desmond Doss later on, he, said, he looked up at God and he said, what do you want from me? I can't hear you. And the tears were just running down his face. And there's silence. And then... In the distance, he hears, medic, medic, help, medic. And in the film, Desmond kind of goes like this. Okay, I hear you now. And he runs back out with most of his team healthy, down, bivouacked, and safe. He runs back out. By the end of that battle, he had personally and individually saved 75 people. And he's about, he was about 5'10", 125. This was not an Avenger. And as he'd come back, he would say to himself, Lord, one more just go with me for one more. 
as far as I know, the only conscientious objector ever awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. What if what Luke is trying to say today to us, to you, in your Hacksaw Ridge, in your Jerusalem, with the arms of Jesus around you, he's got you, he's never letting you go, with the knowledge in your mind that the enemy never ultimately wins, what if he's saying, my brother, my sister, son, daughter, Desmond Ross, Peter, James, Rhoda, is you. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. How did God speak to you? I'm sure he did. He spoke to, spoke to me. And um, we'll just let him minister to you at this moment. But uh, are you in a war? Sometimes our greatest enemy is ourself. And um, what is it that you might be kind of wrestling with, going through? And uh, have, you, have you believed in the lie that God's not going to win the war that you might be going through right now? Let the Holy Spirit come and minister to you at this moment. Let God remind you and allow you to live so courageously in his love. And I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. And then I'll, I'll pray for us. One of the greatest detriments, I think, to American Christianity is this belief that when we suffer and go through hardships, we think that there's something wrong with us, or perhaps maybe we did something wrong, that God is angry with us, and that's why we're suffering. It's probably one of the most unbiblical things that we've embraced in our own hearts and in our minds. The Bible promises us that when we believe in Jesus, it's going to be a war. We're going to suffer. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because you've done something wrong but it's because you're his warrior. And we think that Christianity is supposed to be safe and perfect and a life of just blessings all the time, but we forget that the true, the greatest blessing is when we're willing to suffer and pick up our cross. So God, we come to you today. We thank you for this powerful word, this reminder that the stories that we hear every week as we're going through the book of Acts is our story, our brokenness, our challenges that we, say, we suffer from. But God, we thank you for the truth that you always win, no matter what. And may we be able to live into that truth today. We thank you for this word. Will you continue to speak and minister to those in this room that need to be ministered to today? Thank you for your love and your goodness. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
how did God speak to you? Could you flip over your communication card? There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. The first one is this, if you've never committed yourself to Jesus Christ, you've never opened your heart to him, and, uh, and you've done that today or you want to do that, would you please check that off and then go to the next table at the conclusion of the service and uh, connect with one of our leaders there. They'll give you a new believers packet and also pray with you as well. So make sure you stop by there today. Second, I'm going to pray that God gives me strength to fight and endure any forces of darkness that comes my way. Would you pray that prayer? Could I ask you to take an extra step of coming forward uh, to the prayer team in the front and the back, also in all the different parts of the gym sanctuary as well? Would you be open to receiving prayer that whatever darkness it is that you might be going through, that you would be open to uh, praying not only personally, but with some others as well? The third, uh, Holy Week is coming up on April 15th to the 19th at 6 a.m. And I want you to commit this week, this year to attend Holy Week service. There's information in your bulletin. It's going to be a Joy Christian Fellowship Church. It's right here in Englewood, just a few blocks away from here. And uh, we'd love for you to join us. We're going to be partnering with Joy for the Holy Week service, and it's going to be fantastic. So we're going to start on April 15th, which is a Monday, and on Good Friday on the 19th. And so we hope to see you there at 6 a.m. every day. Lastly, up... Uh, Pastor Kevin Butcher has so graciously uh, decided and agreed to come and be our retreat fa- uh, guest speaker at Family Camp on June 23rd to the 28th. I'd love to invite you to be a part of that. If you are interested in, in being in being a part of it and going with us, would you please check that off and I'll get you more information this week about it, give you some more details about it. I guarantee you it will change and transform your life. It really will. Probably the best thing you and your family do uh, this year in terms of vacation. It will it will bless you in many ways. So we just check that off, and then we'll get back to you.